the number one movie, TV, entertainment, everything podcast in the history of the universe, according to the iTunes charts. I am Steve Cuff, as always, and joining me, Adam Myros. Hey, Steve. And what do you think of that intro, man? People are going to really take us seriously now. Yeah, everyone who hears it will take us very seriously. Yeah, exactly. Uh, also joining us, Jake Trapila. This is the Waltz thinking. Hey, Steve, how's it going? Oh, my. Have you been replaced by a chorus of angels? Uh, no, that was just Tom York singing his wares in the new Suspiria film. Oh, that makes sense. I was like, why does it sound like uh, Jake is like a, a fucking tropical bird having its necks uh, snapped? And that would be why. <laughs> uh, I, I thought we might have been joined by Lutz Ebersdorf there momentarily. <laughs> <laughs> oh God! Oh man! So, uh, Jake, how how you how you doing down in California? It's a little little hairy down there right now. I'm doing fine. Uh, luckily, none of the fires uh, have come near our house. Uh, none of the smoke has come near us either. Uh, Malibu has been set ablaze and proceeded to destroy every mansion owned by a famous millionaire out there. But uh, luckily, our wedding venue still stands tall. That's so, good. Uh, yeah. I'm going to chalk prevail. that up as a victory for the proletariat. Uh, I mean, homeless Martin Sheen makes me a little sad, but, uh, you know, I think he can handle it. Yeah. Right, you made hey, the West yeah. Wing. You get what you deserve. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> fair point. Fair point. If you make the West Wing, it's, that's what happens. Yeah. And but, then, hey, we're not, here to, we're not here to mourn the Kardashians that lost their homes. Oh, no, that's true. But, I, I do kind of like the idea that Martin Sheen will now be uh, residing in a similar place to uh, Joe Estevez. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Homeless. <laughs> it's like staying in a, a fucking seedy motel. Another. Uh, oh, but what of Gerard Butler? What is he going to do? Uh, Maybe he'll start a commune with Miley Cyrus. <laughs> <laughs> Support Gerard oh, man. Butler. All right, boys. Well, get that hashtag trending. You know, you know, the last couple of episodes we've uh, we've we've done a few different things. We we covered a bunch of different old horror movies for October for Halloween. Uh, we did a little little stand up comedy uh, podcast with Stephen Coleman and Till Knowles, two people we haven't heard from in a while. But we're back in the wagon. We're talking. The, the contemporary real shit right now. We're, we're tapping into the zeitgeist, which is very exciting. Uh, yeah, two movies that may well be out of theaters by the time this uh, drops. Yeah, probably. That's, that's as close <laughs> as we get to the zeitgeist, man. I, you know, we were going to do this the other day. I've had a rough fucking week, man. Did you know? Okay, so I came home from work yesterday, and I went to park my car. And in order to get to my, the parking lot behind my apartment complex... I have to uh, go down this alley, and there was uh, the the yellow police tape that had, like, you know, the the alley was blocked off. So I was like, oh, well, I guess I'll just go around on the other side, and that was blocked off. So I was like, what the fuck? So I parked in the street, went in the front door, and uh, noticed my cat had his face pressed against the back window, so I also pressed my face against the back window. And uh, lo and behold, there's a fucking dead body in my backyard and three cops poking at it, so... 
There you go. Jesus. Yeah. It's a day in the life. Dead body. Real good. Wow. Yeah. That's good stuff, right? So, yeah. That's fun. It's a fun, well, fun way. you know, Scott Walker lost. It all evens out. Yeah, it does. When it comes down to it, I mean, you know. maybe Part of me was hoping it was Scott Walker back there, but I don't think he comes to my neighborhood very much because it's uh, 95% African American, and we know how he feels about wow. it. People like that. So, with that being said, uh, at least we caught some movies. Uh, holy shit, there's a new Halloween movie. And this is an interesting franchise. And I was, I was thinking about this the other day, where you think of like these big tentpole horror franchises that started in the 80s and where they are now and just the, the level of quality that you get top to bottom. And I don't think Halloween is the worst of the bunch. Uh, that that either goes to maybe, I don't know, like Saw, although that that's not from the 80s. But if you're going straight 80s, I think probably Friday the 13th, worst horror franchise. Is that fair? Uh, I think I'd probably go with Halloween, in all honesty. Okay. Well, I, I mean. Yeah, it's, it's, I don't know. It's tough to say because a lot of the Friday the 13th are just abysmal and they look like shit and they're obviously very crappy. But the problem with the Halloweens uh, is that most of them are just very dull. So I don't know what is the which is the lesser of two evils. Well, here, here's the way that I think about it. So when I go through each franchise, I think of Halloween, mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay, Halloween, you got uh, the original, which is Stone Cold Classic. You have, Hall- you have Halloween 3, which fucking rules. And by the way, if you, if you ever want like just a quick like litmus test for whether or not you should associate with a human being, um, ask them if they've seen Halloween 3. If they say yes, ask them what they think of it. And if they say they don't like it, uh, don't be friends with that person. That's, that's the long and short of it. Halloween 3 is fucking amazing. Other than that, I mean, the Rob Zombie movies are fine, but I, I can't – like the, the rest of the series – I think it's basically dog shit, but also there's all kinds of weird people on the internet that like to pick certain movies in in the Halloween franchise and hold them up as, as masterpieces. Like, there's a whole contingency of online assholes who are like, yeah, I'm going to fucking stand for uh, Halloween 6, which I've, I've watched twice now, and I, I cannot... Like I've I've watched the the regular cut. I've watched the work print that people jerk off all over. Mm. There's nothing there. Nothing. Halloween Six is it, it's probably the worst film in any of these franchises. I would say uh, it is abysmal. Yeah, it is really really bad. But that being said, yeah, I mean, with with Friday the Thirteenth, I think about that and. A lot of people say, oh, you know, the first movie was so influential and so important, but it's like, ah, it's kind of shit. And then the second one, also kind of shit. And the third one is like, well, this is definitely shit, but also hilarious because it's a 3D movie that you rarely get to see in 3D. Um, and it was from the era of extreme gimmickry 3D. So it's just like, whoa, there's a broom handle coming near the camera. And you're like, why is this happening? Uh, so I guess it's entertaining in that way. And then you've got Friday the 13th, the final chapter, uh, which is, again, hilarious considering how many of those there are. And that's like the only one that I genuinely like that I think is uh, it's a solid slasher just beginning to end. And it's also got the hilarious Crispin Glover performance. Other than that, I don't give a fuck about Friday the 13th. Halloween, also a bad franchise. But 
here we are, and it's the year of our Lord 2018, and they have decided to reboot Halloween, uh, or I guess chop up the timeline again. Uh, well, that's that's what they do these days. That's what that's what we, do. Um, we, we retcon things. We, we I, I don't what well, explain this to me, Myros. Well, to, just to say one more on the on the whole franchise subject here. Like to me, the fact that the original Halloween is a Stone Cold classic almost makes the franchise like more egregious. It's like Friday the Thirteenth was at every point just a, a shitty sleaze bag cash in franchise and. Uh, it started that way and it remained that way. Whereas Halloween films always feel like they're sullying something to me. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. But yeah, this movie is uh, a, a direct sequel to Carpenter's original 1978 film, uh, which is the uh, – this is the first time I guess they've done this timeline reboot. They've done – other timeline reboots, I believe Halloween H2O is a direct sequel to Halloween 2. Sure. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, obviously the zombie stuff is another sort of hard reboot, but this is the first one to directly follow Halloween uh, 1 since uh, Halloween 2, which is also an okay movie, I suppose. The original Halloween 2 is not not dreadful. Um, it's got that good scene where like the, isn't like flaming Michael Myers gets run over by an ambulance, but it's not flaming Michael Myers. It's just a guy. Yeah. Yeah. That's fine. It's Ben Tramer. Yeah. RIP Ben. (laughs) (laughs) So yeah, they're just just throwing everything out at this point and they're saying, okay, the original's good. Everything else blows. Let's, let's just direct sequel it. Right. Yeah. You might as well. Right. I, I mean, you I, I don't know. This is a movie I, – I know you guys are going to go a little savage on this movie, but I'm fine with it. It's just the concept feels very unnecessary, but uh, I don't know. The results, they're, they're fine for me. <laughs> <laughs> That's a glowing endorsement. The results, they're fine for me. Well, g- give me the hard sell on this. What what about Halloween 3, I guess, didn't rub you the wrong way? Or not Halloween, Halloween 3. 3. No, I'm sorry. I know, exactly. <laughs> That's a perfect movie. Yeah. It's it's a movie. Even more confusing. This film is a is a sequel to a movie called Halloween, and this one is still just called Halloween. Yeah, they should have called it like more Halloween. Here it is. That would have been better. But yeah, you know, if if this was a movie about a uh, a toy maker named Connell Cochran who uses pieces of Stonehenge to embed into children's Halloween masks so he can turn them into piles of snakes and thus conquer the world, I think it'd be a better movie. You know, that's Halloween. Yeah. But okay, Halloween well, 2018. Yeah. Give me the sell on this, Myros. Like, what what about this? Did you did you really enjoy? Ah, uh, the sell for me, I think a lot of it is framed by what I expected going in, which is I do not like the people involved in it. I have had no use for any David Gordon Green I've seen. Admittedly, I've not seen some of his more acclaimed work, but he's done a lot of jerk-off comedies in the last decade. <laughs> and it's favorite uh, subgenre. I, I do not like his his collaborator, Danny McBride, who who co-wrote this film. I think he's a talentless piece of garbage. Sure. But, but this movie, I walked in predisposed to hating it, and I don't know. I, I felt like it really 
you could you could tell they really love the Carpenter film. You mm-hmm. you could feel that in almost every shot. Like it, it, the look of it is spot on. It's exactly what you'd want. The tone for me, it, sure, it vacillates once or twice into some some jokey stuff that that I could do without. But for the most mm-hmm. part. I think it maintains a pretty good tone, a uh, pretty faithful tone, and it it just feels like a, a really well done sort of Valentine to the original Halloween. I, I don't think there's, I I mean, some people are reading subtext into this film, which is to me just fucking stupid. Like, I don't need you to tell me about how this is a post-Trump horror film or a, a feminist <laughs> manifesto or something. It, it's a fucking slasher movie there's nothing to it but it the carpenter score is fantastic the look of the movie is is just what i want it to be and and it just works it's it's a streamlined genre film that works okay well i i mean <laughs> yeah it's it's funny because like some of the readings like you said that i that i've seen negative and positive for this movie i've just been like huh you know, I, I didn't really connect with the movie in that in that way, and that's that's fine. But it's just kind of hard to connect the dots on a lot of that stuff. Um, I, I will say the one thing that I like the nice modern touch. I, I don't know if it makes it a, a post Trump uh, <laughs> slasher film, but I, you know, any movie where there's two like dipshit true crime podcasters and they just get mm. mauled. I mean, that was very satisfying for me. Yeah, yeah. As a regular dipshit podcaster who has not dipped his toes into the true crime genre, yeah, that, that felt good. I I am a fan of a lot of little plot beats like that. I Some of the casting is fantastic. I mean, again, it does dip into some dumb, dumb bullshit. But when you got, like, Toby Huss as the father, he, he can pull a lot of that out of the fire and make it, like, believable dad dialogue. Yeah, sure. Yeah, I don't. I don't know that that peanut butter on my penis line uh, does not sit well with me. Well, and yeah, and, and let's let's talk about that because I think f- the direction of, in the movie, David Gordon Green, is not the problem here at all. If anything, he's the reason why this isn't a, a complete and utter failure. Because I think in the hands of almost anyone else that would have touched a project like this, we would have been in big trouble. The problem for me lies squarely on the shoulders of Mr. Danny McBride, uh, <laughs> co-writer. Agreed. And, and there's, there's certain parts where you can just – the characters are just speaking like Danny McBride, and it doesn't make any sense. So the aforementioned peanut butter on my penis line, it, it doesn't make any sense in the context of the movie. So literally he's just like in the kitchen talking to his family about some, I don't know, plot point something – and then he's just like, oh, peanut butter on my penis. It, it's apropos of absolutely nothing. It just doesn't make any sense. It's this weird, like, tonal shift. And you get this throughout the movie where there's, you know, whether it's throwaway lines or entire segments that are just, it just switches gears into comedy and it's jarring. Because as a movie that largely functions as a serious slasher um, that deals with things like, you know, generational violence and, and mental illness and all this shit and paranoia. And then it, it, it switches gears and it thinks it can do that. And I don't, I don't know why you would do that. Like, how, how is that in service to the movie in any way, shape, or form? And there's even this whole scene that I think could have been uh, a, a great 
tense moment, and it's it's kind of a throwback to the scene in the original Halloween where, um, you know, you got your, your two teens uh, that are home alone, and uh, there's this bed sheet over Michael Myers, and she thinks it's her boyfriend, but oops, it's, it's the murderer, he's gonna kill ya, and... Instead, here we get this this little child, this precocious scamp, who is just talking like Danny McBride, and that's that's the joke. It's like, ha ha, look at this kid. He talks like a a, a funny adult man, and and then now yeah. which which See, precocious scamp? See, I well, loved that whole segment. Okay. He's talking about the the African American child who uh, right. with the babysitter, like yeah. Uh, that was not out of line for me. I mean, there's a scene with the child actor earlier in the film that's the one time it, it really lost me with the dialogue. But come ninety percent of these things, and there's and by ninety percent, I probably mean nine out of ten. It's not like there's a ton of of these joke lines, but a they're mostly all just throwaway lines that that don't really take me out of the affair. And I, I guess maybe another way I'm coming for, coming at it is that I didn't take this movie seriously for a minute. Not at all. I thought this was totally like a a popcorn munching grin on your face slasher. Like I was just having fun with the thing. I I mean, it was tense at points, but I, I, I thought it was just a, a, a great time. I was not taken out of it by a tonal shift because I didn't think it was going for some existential dread <laughs> yeah don't get me wrong i don't i don't hate this movie i'm i'm more in the mixed reaction i think i've disappointed is is a more accurate term to describe how i feel because a lot of the yeah a lot of the slasher and thriller elements i would say work really well and this if you take out season of the witch this is easily the second best Michael Myers Halloween movie. Mm-hmm. Um, but a lot of the comedy just really bogs it down for me. And I know, Adam, you're saying it's these throwaway lines, but for me, it's like full throwaway scenes. Like there's, it feels like there's like 45 seconds of this kid griping about how he's missing his dance class to go hunting with his dad. And a- another scene I really hate is the the two cops talking about it, making a peanut butter and jelly banh mi sandwich which seems to drag on forever. And it, I can't tell if it's written because some of it seems like just bad improv the way these scenes drag on. But yeah, I, I don't know. I, I, it could use a little bit more trimming in the editorial department. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I got to agree on that. That first one, that one with the stilted kid who was just going on and on about his dance recital or whatever. Mm-hmm. My God, that, that was like early in the film. And I was like, Oh Oh boy! Yeah. Is this yeah. where it's gonna head? And for me, it didn't. It, it it never crossed that line again. That was the line where I was like, "I can't deal with this." And then they promptly kill the kid. Yeah, and, and, <laughs> and I think that's the idea there. here is they're they're trying to you know flesh out these characters just enough and and you know shove enough humanity into them so that we care about them a little bit more before Michael Myers you know shreds them, but. Again, if if you're filling your empty character vessels with Danny McBride and expecting me to have empathy, um, really, I I just I want them to get shredded at that point. That's I don't know if that's what you're going for, but well, yeah, and and I I feel like I am being a little harsh here. I I would also say, other than the original, is a strong argument. This is probably the second best Halloween movie. But for me, it's more of a testament to the overall quality of the franchise. And also, I just, 
I don't know. I, I almost forgot completely about this movie the moment that I walked out of the theater. And and that's nothing about this really stuck with me. There's nothing to chew on, you know? I wouldn't disagree I think- with that. I think it's a slight ass movie, but I don't I don't have a problem yeah. with that. I, I'm totally down with it. As we've we've Gone down the the Bloomhouse path in 2018. It seems like uh, every episode I'm here defending some slight fucking movie that has nothing to say, but it's just a good time. And and yeah. this falls right into that category for me. Although it's certainly probably this is also a Bloomhouse release, I believe, and it's probably my favorite Bloomhouse release of the year. Uh, and I don't know. It's just. It didn't do anything wrong for me. I, I don't think it's like some masterwork, but I think it did exactly what it intended to do, and I think it did it well. Sure. I, I thought all the all the teen stuff again. You you didn't care for the the whole babysitter uh, throwback thing, no. which which was definitely well, a total callback to that er, that scene in the first film. And I I thought I thought it was great. Like when they were. When the kid was talking about seeing the boogeyman and whatnot, I, I thought that whole sequence was fantastic. Well, I, I, I want to say, too, that maybe my other problem with this, too, is the, the lead actress, the brunette girl, utterly forgettable to me. Super, super bland. Uh, the blonde girl, however, the babysitter, I liked her character a lot more. I thought she was a lot more interesting. So, I, well, I yeah, almost... but couldn't you say that about uh, Halloween? <laughs> Maybe. I don't know. I, but Jamie Lee Curtis, I think as Laurie, she had a little bit more pull. Like I, I, something about her screen presence was was much stronger to me. Uh, and, you know, we should also say, too, if, if you haven't seen the movie or you're wondering what it's actually about, it, it is a direct sequel, but it takes place, you know, present day 2018. And the whole idea is, you know, Michael Myers was caught. He was thrown in like a, a mental hospital prison thing. And. Jamie Lee Curtis, basically, since then, she's been terrified that he's going to break out. So she's turned to this crazy, like, doomsday prepper hermit person. Um, which, the cool thing about that is, in the third act, when Michael Myers, of course, he, he gets out and he starts killing people. And he's drawn to Lori, presumably because he's the one that, or she's the one that he didn't get. So he feels the need to get her. Uh, you know, that's not really that important, but there's this whole sequence in the end of the, the final sequence where Michael Myers is breaking into the, uh, the the fortress that Jamie Lee Curtis has built, more or less. And that was great. I really enjoyed that. However, yeah, the, the finale is excellent. Yeah, there is one thing you, you said, Myros, you said there's there wasn't anything in here that 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 rubbed you the wrong way. I need you to because I cannot for the life of me figure out why this exists. The uh, the stand-in for Doctor Loomis, Doctor Sartain, or whatever his name is. <laughs> yeah. Explain the wackadoo twist where Doctor Sartain loses his fucking marbles because I don't understand that. So I need some help here. I I don't know. It, it, it's just a. It was a plot twist. That's all it was. A simple plot twist where they're like, but in service of what? <laughs> But yeah, exactly. The problem is that it just feels so unnecessary. I mean, it. I, I love how it ends with his head getting crushed like a grape. That's excellent. But I don't think you needed to. I and also I don't like how they actually name drop and say, "Oh, you're the new Loomis." I that, there's you know obviously this film has a certain reverence for the original Halloween, but these sort of like winky callbacks and a lot of like the the visual style of some of the kills. I think they echo too much to the original film and it doesn't 
ever become its own thing. Yeah. Which is a problem for me. And, and is it's there- not its own thing. But I see, for me, that's just a total, like, subversion type thing where they're just setting you up to go, oh, he's Loomis. This is what how this character functions in this story. And then mm-hmm. yeah. they go a totally different direction. And- well, but you could look at Loomis. So Dr. Loomis in the original – He's not a great fucking doctor. He's chasing Michael Myers around trying to shoot the motherfucker and <laughs> repeatedly telling us how evil he is. So Dr. Loomis... I'm sure that's against his Hippocratic oath. Yeah, Dr. Loomis on his own is kind of a crazy, goofy character, and that's okay because Dr. Sure, Pleasant's and I think they're playing rules. off that, right? Yeah, but They're this saying, is, yeah, this guy's his protege and he's, he's fucking insane. He's even wackier, yeah. But there isn't anything... Like, Loomis, right from the jump, you're like, oh, this guy, he's, he's a little off his rocker. I don't think you don't really get any of that with the doctor character in this movie. Um, and, and I don't think like the twist that happens where all of a sudden he, you know, stabs, a, he fucking murders a cop and then he puts on the Michael Myers mask and, and just like loses his mind. But there's there's no indication before that that that's part of who he is as a character. So what you have is you have a twist that exists for a twist's sake, more or less. Like there's it, it doesn't do anything. And and the fact that where we go after that, it has no bearing on the overall story. It just gets. But they us- had to they had to find a way to get uh, the daughter the granddaughter get her to the house essentially yeah. that was that was the plot mechanism and they well used. not just her but they also had to get michael to right. Lori's house right which they just is, is kind of clunky they use this as a device to get them all together in the same location yeah uh but yeah i don't know i again when you talk about how the the, the secondary girl is is more compelling than the the lead in this film I, again i that that takes me back to the original. I, I'm Team Annie all the way. I thought like Nancy Loomis is a character you're like rooting for in that film who gets killed off. She's like your favorite character, and it, so you know it stings when she dies. And I think they they managed to recreate that. Is this movie like something that could function on its own? Does it ever become its own thing? Fuck no. But it's it's called Halloween. It's not it's not trying to. It's not its goal. Its goal is. To pay homage to the original Halloween, and then I, they involve Carpenter in the process, and he fucking knocks it out of the park with the score. And again, it's just—I found it immensely satisfying. <laughs> I don't know, man. I don't know. Well, uh, Jake, what do you got? Any any final thoughts on this? Other than Myros yeah. is wrong. <laughs> I mean, you know, a lot of people, I think this is still hovering around 80% on Rotten Tomatoes or something like that. And Yeah, we're the assholes uh, here, actually. I, yeah, <laughs> we're the 20%. Um, but uh, this, I mean, you know, people really seem to be digging this movie. And uh, it does really, I think it's probably for the best that it, it ignores all the bullshit between 1979 and 2017. And I think approaching, I think approaching this is just a straight sequel to the original Halloween was the best they could have done. Uh, I just wish it was a little bit better with how it went about some of what it introduces in this film and what ultimately pays off. Um, but yeah, you know, it's a, you know, a lot of the, like, I think like the score is, is good. Uh, a lot of the, the kills on Michael prowling the first night of Halloween or well, the night of Halloween, his prowls are, are efficiently done and slick. Um, yeah, this is probably, you know, one of the better looking films in the franchise. I just, uh, I'm just a little let down is all. Yeah. 
That's fair. And yeah, I've said this before and I want to say it again. This isn't a, a dumpster fire of a movie. It's just No, no, no. You know, it's it's one of those things where I just I wanted more from it and I I didn't get it and I'm I'm upset. I'm a little upset. Yeah. That's all. I don't know what the hell you guys wanted out of this movie. I I thought this movie would be fucking awful. Now, I'll, ah, I'll tell you what I wanted. I, I wanted a shot by shot re- or shot for shot remake of Halloween 3. So, you know, give me that and maybe we'll talk. <laughs> yeah, that's going to get greenlit in today's Dude. economy. Oh, my God. It'd be amazing. You tell me Blumhouse wouldn't be interested in that? Come on. I mean, yeah, I mean this film this film totally uh, works in that Blumhouse formula. It only costs like $10 million to make. It's already made $150 million in the U.S. alone. It's now the highest grossing slasher, which I just found out was previously a record held by Scream. Wow. So 22 years later, Halloween beat Scream at the box office. That's wild. Well, yeah. so you know, what what about the score? You guys at least you're down for that at least, I should know. Yeah, yeah. It, I think compared to the stuff that Carpenter, I mean, obviously Carpenter's classic scores, but also uh some of the albums that he's released, uh like, you know, Lost Themes Volume 1 and 2, I think compared to that stuff, it's weak for Carpenter. But overall, it's it's a good score, and it riffs off the original just enough with while still being its own thing. Yeah, it reminds me a lot of the last album they put out, which was like essentially a greatest hits type thing, where it was it was like reworked versions of his old mm-hmm. themes. Yeah, uh, but I don't know, just the way they utilized it. It's like it, it's not the strongest scene in the film, but that scene in the the guy's backyard with the ducky character. Oh yeah. Oh man. Mm. This, the music sting. Oh, it was just a thing of beauty. No, that was good. That was good. No, there's, there's good stuff in here for sure. For sure. And the, yeah, the, the motion sensor lights are also utilized well during that moment. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Now there's, there's a lot of good things and a lot of smart things that happen in this movie, which makes the, the dumb shit for me all the more glaring. But I would say if, if you have a general interest in horror or especially if you're a fan of Halloween as a franchise or just the original movie because you're not a fucking monster who thinks Halloween 6 is good, uh, this is definitely something you should check out. But uh, temper your expectations for sure. Yeah, no. it's likely you're listening to this and you've already seen it. Yeah. Yeah, and you probably enjoyed it because you're not a fucking asshole. <laughs> Whatever. Hey, you know what? Uh, uh, s- speaking of uh, of remakes of movies that I love and hold very dear to my heart, uh, we all spent 96 hours in a theater watching Suspiria 2018. See, Steve, I have a I have a thought experiment for you. As people who did not like this Halloween remake. You do realize that that prior to Luca, that uh, this David Gordon Green team was slotted to remake Suspiria, and I can't help having seen both movies back to back. Really wish that had just happened. Yeah, <laughs> I would. I would take like you can get the worst. Like, give me the blandest piece of shit. Give me fucking Brian Singer's Suspiria. Give me Mick G's Suspiria. Anyone, anything. Good lord. Well, again, when you talk about Halloween, regardless of your complaints with it, you can tell that David Gordon Green loves the source material, understands the source material. 
He brought in fucking John Carpenter to do the music. You can't tell me he wouldn't have done the exact same thing with Goblin. Oh, yeah. And yeah. if you're seeing a movie that's a Valentine to Suspiria with a, a new original score by Goblin, yeah, fuck yeah. I'm in the, I'm in the front seat for that, baby. Yeah. Well, I, I think the lesson here is the number one rule should be uh, if, if a movie is a stone-cold classic, what, what is the value in remaking it? Um, now, maybe there's value in a sequel or maybe there's value in, in reimagining it and doing your own thing. But uh, with the latter there, reimagining the movie, you really have to – it takes a very special person to do that effectively because, again, you're saying, hey, this thing is perfect. What if we you know, took certain elements of it and did something completely different? Well, why? What? <laughs> It's, you know, so you, you really have to do something special. So we have in 2018, we have a, a remake of Dario Argento's classic film, Suspiria. And uh, it is directed by Luca Guadagnino, uh, famous for I Am Love and uh, Oscar Darling, Call Me By Your Name. So not exactly the guy where I'm like, yeah, this this is the, the Suspiria man. This makes perfect sense to me. And oh, boy. Uh, there, this is another one where, you know, with Halloween, like most people were like, yeah, it's pretty good or, eh, didn't really do anything for me. This has been a very polarizing movie for people. Um, I happen to be in the camp of, you know, maybe there's something interesting going on here, but this, this film is so far up its own ass. It's fucking head is, is just fucking buried beyond hope. It's just too much. It's too much. So, Myros, I, I already know how Jake feels about this one, but I haven't really talked to you about Suspiria. What, what were your impressions just broadly of, of Suspiria? Uh, I struggled mightily with Suspiria. I, I spent a good, like, two-thirds of the runtime doing everything in my power to give it a fair shake. Yeah. And and I'm like, okay, this is not what I want it to be, and that's okay. But there's some imagery I like, and I think he's he's really driving at something. It's gonna be something I have to think on. And then the 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 last half hour is just like threw all that out the window and I was just like, fuck this. This this doesn't have anything to fucking say. It's just dumb dumb bullshit that looks like hell. Yeah. Uh, well, yeah, I will say that yeah. the, the final sequence looks like complete dog shit, I, I feel. But uh, most of this movie is really well-directed. Like, there's some really beautiful stuff in here. Obviously, uh, Luke is he's incredibly talented guy. I don't know if he's the right guy for this, but my biggest problem with this movie is, you know, there's a lot of people that are like, oh, it's so smart and thematically rich. But <sighs> there's a big difference between something that is thematically rich and has a lot of depth to it and something that is just obtuse to the point of, you know, it's completely worthless. And this is way too obtuse. It's got a thousand different things going on at once. And it's like a, it's like a shotgun blast of like themes that aren't fleshed out at all and, and go nowhere. So the the general idea here is, like the original Suspiria, there's a dance studio, and oops-a-daisy, it's run by witches and people are dying. Uh, in this case, they're, they're trying to, to flesh that idea out a little bit more. 
So it's kind of about like uh, power and the abuse of power and like generational shame and uh, the Holocaust. I guess it's it's kind of about the Holocaust. Yeah, this that's what we need. Another fucking movie about German guilt. Yeah. Get fucking over it, Christ Almighty. Yeah, <laughs> we we covered we covered that pretty well, like in the seventies. I feel you know, like there's. <laughs> Go watch the See, fucking you're... fast bender. Like, I don't know if I need this. You're easier on the like the visuals of this film than I like. I wouldn't call Luca's direction here good. Well, I mean, there's some decent yeah, cinematography but... in the film, but yeah. for me, it is simultaneously over edited and terribly under edited because it's a, a lot of the early segments are just like cut 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 and it's just so disorienting and strange and and again just the antithesis of something argento would do um but and yet there's about uh 45 minutes of uh just useless plot that should just be a Extracted from the film entirely, so I, I can't I give would, a director. I would argue it's an hour that, yeah. that doesn't make narrative sense in the way it's constructed. It's just like, what is this act structure bullshit? All of it is fucking maddening. <laughs> yeah, there's it, it doesn't seem it just didn't connect with me. Like I, I'm not seeing any of the connective tissue. And as far as the directing goes, I think. Uh, just just the way that some of the shots are framed, um, some of the yeah, outdoor sequences, sure. like the architecture of the dance studio. I love how everything is it's, – it's almost like an M.C. Escher. Like it's, it's very disorienting, um, and, and that fits kind of thematically with what he's doing because I guess the themes are disorienting because who the fuck knows what's going on. But Right. There was like a seg- – like the first dream sequence uh, – where it, it again it's really hyper cut but for me it was like really effective in conveying this this feeling and actual plot information is is doled out in that dream sequence and it's just like this flash of imagery uh basically reflecting the abuse she uh underwent as a child and it, it just gave so much information as to her relationship with her mother without being like this narrative just bullet point you know it, it was just mm-hmm. it was telling me information through visual imagery and that's that's what i go to the movies seeking but uh it, it seldom had that utility <laughs> yeah well and, and this is this is a movie where i, I think the core of the story and and trust me when i say core it's it's going off of this path frequently like this i think this is what they're driving at but it's so obtuse and so all over the fucking place that they, they lose the plot pretty quickly. But the idea here is you have this coven of witches that uh, was, you know, they, they were forced underground during World War II because yada, yada, yada. And the idea is they were, they were stripped of their power and now they've regained it. Um, and, and they're all about like, yeah, girl power, but how are they actually like exercising that power? And the answer is they're not doing, they're doing it in a way that doesn't jive with their politics. So they present themselves as this progressive force, but really what they're doing is they're abusing and killing women for their own self interest, which aren't entirely clear either. So it's just, it's a lot. And they try to tie that to this, 
Holocaust story of people like these complacent Germans who didn't do enough. And, and, and there's just none of it connects, though. None of it. And there's a much more effective, simpler story that could be told with a lot of the same ideas here. And it's just not there. It's just so fucking bloated. Yeah, it's just like, you know, you could edit out two facets and make this movie infinitely more interesting than me. A, get rid of it, all this Bader-Meinhof shit. It doesn't fucking have any business in this movie. Yeah. It's fucking distracting nonsense. And and B, uh, Dr. Joseph Klemperer with his, oh, I am an old German and let's hear my Holocaust tales. Like, I love wow. Spetzel. No. Where did you where'd you get these accurate clips from the movie? <laughs> I want this character out of the movie entirely. Yeah. yeah this this char- this whole thing just poses I fucking hated this movie. I I can't I, I can't for the life of me find anything positive to say. Maybe there's a nice shot every thirty or so minutes. But, uh, like, right off the bat, like, Suspiria is a masterpiece. The original film is a masterpiece, and, you know, I, I think you you two would both agree with me in that saying that. And it, it's, like, renowned for having one of the greatest openings in a horror movie ever. And this film, it just fell off from the start. We have Chloe Grace Moretz is running to uh, Dr. Lutz Ebersdorf's office, there's like it's Dr. Joseph Klepper. Uh, Louis yeah. Ebersdorf is the actor portraying this wonderful character. Yes, which is portrayed by Tilda Swinton in heavy old man makeup, which they didn't <laughs> confess to until like a week before this movie came which out. Which is fucked up because she, is... she just looks like Johnny Knoxville in Jackass wearing the like <laughs> the fucking grandpa suit, like naughty grandpa. Yeah, she just yeah, the, it's so distracting, and and she, like it's just a painfully mannered performance as this old man, and like there's this scene, just it's so frantically edited of uh, Chloe Grace Moretz like rolling around the psychiatrist's office and like just talking about th- this babbling on and on about how these witches are gonna eat her cunt on a hot plate and. I, I was not into this movie for a second, and it 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 this is, Luca. If you know, if when you go to remake a movie, there's like thought that you could improve upon the original film, but I think Luca should have realized, oh no, the original is unimprovable. I shouldn't even touch this. This it was, this is a mistake. He made every single wrong decision to make the remake of Suspiria. That's how I feel. And it's just – it's adding an extra hour of Lutz Ebersdorf playing a detective really, really hurts the film. And especially because he's investigating things that the audience is already privy to. So that's like filmmaking detective agency 101. You don't want your characters to be behind your audience. It's just – it's useless. It's worthless. And then the big bloody climactic showdown – is it's insane how messy it is and and not in a good way it it doesn't there's no there's no like fever pitch moment that it builds to it just all of a sudden happens and feels arbitrary and and i i i just i hate it i fucking hate it so much i can't even like get i i I could talk for an hour about that fucking scene like what what is even happening like what prompted it? I don't know. Well, A, I will say that I found Dakota Johnson and Tilda Swinton to be both great. I mean, Tilda Swinton, less so. 
She's great as Madame Blanc, and not so fucking great as Joseph Klemperer or Helena Barcos. <laughs> um, yeah, I I thought like the Susie Banyan, Madame Blanc stuff, and the interplay with the Coven. I was just like, I was into it. I'm like, okay, this has something to say. This listen to women narrative. The, it it's going somewhere, and then it doesn't. It just abruptly ends with uh, Tilda Swinton's like neck getting cracked in half and uh, abruptly dying. Even hey, though no, she's still okay, man. That last sequence. <laughs> it's gonna be yeah, the sequel. she's <laughs> apparently not dead from that. Yeah. But like wh- her neck why... explodes out of the front and back, and she's still somehow alive. Well, this narrative of of Dakota Johnson actually being uh, Mother Suspiria or whatever is it doesn't make any sense. Like, she's rebuking these people who are reveling in the old. It's it's a sort of classism tale and and these people who refuse to move on from the past and are clinging to their youth and corrupt ways and and preying on the, the young and the weak. Is she has this power to rebuke them, but why does she let Tilda Swinton's character get butchered? It doesn't really make any sense. Yeah. And it all looks fucking terrible. What is this yeah. frame rate horse shit? I don't want this juddering nonsense on the screen. <laughs> yeah, it's it's really weird because I agree with you entirely. Like I and even her character, like as the embodiment of, of Mother Suspirium, like she she's part of this same old world like and i don't i don't know are we are we supposed to believe that these witches used to be like they, there was some corrupting force here because that's not really identified we know that they're kind of like you know rotting on the vine here as they try and revive their current embodiment of of mother suspirium but i don't there's there's no reason to believe that anyone is any better than the other. They're all these relics of the past that are trying to cling to it. And it's, yeah, it doesn't, I don't understand. It just makes my head hurt, Myros. It well, I guess that hurt. Marcos is the embodiment of the rot. Like, she's a false prophet. Mm-hmm. A Hitler analog, if you will. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Because that's what this movie is doing for some reason. <laughs> It's doing too much. Just do like a couple. Of, you don't have to do everything. It's like you let's know, do nothing involving Hitler. That'd be a okay with me. Yeah, that I, yeah. I would like that. Um, yeah, and you know, there's there's just there's just better stuff out here if this is what you're interested. in, You know, yeah, I mean, I love Suspiria. Um, I'm excited. I'm gonna go see on Saturday. I'm gonna see Suspiria at the Oriental Theater in Milwaukee, which is this gorgeous like 1920s theater. Um, and while the movie plays, uh, Goblin's going to be there and they're going to be doing the score live with the movie. Like that's exciting. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I don't, I, that I'm, I'm jealous of yeah, you right now. Take that Hollywood boy out here in the Midwest. Yeah. We know how to do it. Uh, but yeah, yeah. So if, if I'm looking for, <laughs> if I've gone through all the giallos and I've, you know, I've watched all my, um, Argento films and and Bava films and, and things of that nature, and I'm looking for like a modern thing to kind of cling to. I think if you look at the uh, the, the two people who 
directed a mare and the strange color of your body's tears and let the corpses ah. in. Uh, Bruno Forzani and who's the other in, person? Uh, Helen Helen Catet. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. you know, and th- those are movies that obviously they've gotten mixed receptions from people, but at their core, they work as homages to this period of film, but they're still very much their own things. And with this, with Suspiria, it's like it's not an homage. It's not even a remake. It's just this weird artifact where it doesn't have any reverence really for the original film, but it. In its own way, the the world it tries to construct, it it tears apart the original Suspiria and then tries to build it back up. But it's like all the pieces are in the wrong places and it just doesn't work for me at all. There's there's just there's nothing to cling to. Yeah, it's a movie that seems to disdain the original film. Yeah. And and I would say that something like Amer or, hey, Dario Argento, noted lunatic fucking asshole, his his original (laughs) Suspiria and Amer are both – much more successfully feminist films than this one is for my money. Oh yeah, hundred percent. Yeah, and another thing too. I mean, when this project was announced, I was. I, I, I hate to say that this is a case of confirmation bias. Me going to see Suspiria and hating it, but the thing about the original Suspiria, I don't love it because it tells a cogent story or it has all these themes steeped in the history of, of Berlin. Uh, I love it because it is shot beautifully. I love Goblin's score. It's it's a matter of aesthetics. It, it's one of the most striking-looking horror movies I've ever seen. Probably one of the best-looking movies I've ever seen. And if you don't have that recent 4K Blu-ray, I don't know what to tell you. But this new film, it's just a long shit smear that lasts for two and a half hours. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. it's very it's, beige. It's awful. It's very beige, and that's reflected by getting fucking Tom York to score the motherfucking oh, thing. Oh, my God. Yeah. Can we talk about that? Like, why Why are we doing this right now? Like, Tom York uh, is yeah. – it's, it's the fucking worst. It's like uh, – He's he's in his like I'm a middle aged dad, so I'm into electronica now. So it's just this fucking bland mayonnaise beep boop bullshit. And he's like, oh, I was I was inspired by kraut rock. It's like, no, dude, you've never fucking listened to a single kraut rock record in your entire life. There's no fucking way. It's just it's garish. It totally doesn't fit with the movie at all. As if, I mean. it It's it's bad on its own, but also in the context of the film, it doesn't work either. Right, I yeah, I want to. I want someone to take out an ambitious video editing project where they take like some absurdly colorful scene in Suspiria and just like color code all the walls beige and and cut out Goblin's music and put in the fucking noodling Tom York horse shit. Yeah. See is, how well that fucking plays. There, and there's there's no defense for this, Scott. I, I mean, <sighs> I, I think like Radiohead fans in 2018 are insufferable enough, but people fucking going to bat for Tom York solo are even worse. This is this is the equivalent of like people who pay money to go see Roger Waters fucking play Pink Floyd songs in, like, 2018. Like, what are you doing with your life? There's, there's no value in this. It's just, I uh, don't understand yeah. this movie. Like, I don't understand the existence of this. I, again, I, I agree with your thesis, Steve, that there is no real benefit to remaking either of these films. There's no real... Uh, niche that even Halloween, as much as I I did enjoy the film, it's it's 
wholly unnecessary. It doesn't serve any purpose to to make such a film. But capitalism, that's, baby. That's fine if you make it and you make it enjoyable and you make it with respect to the original film. And for me, this is not that at all. I it exists. It's. I'm sure that uh, Luca did exactly what he wanted with it, but it's yeah. I. Well, you know I the worst part of all this it. is. Here's the worst part of, of everything. So, famously, John Carpenter uh, when he he remade the thing in in the '80s, and when it originally came out, everybody's like, "Fuck this shit," and now it's revered as a classic horror movie, which it should be. It's amazing. Um, it completely transforms the original film in a great way. Like everything from the, the score to the direction to the writing, like everything in it is perfect. The thing is an amazing movie. Uh, and I don't know why it was so maligned upon its release. Here's what's going to happen, Myros, as we continue to age into obscurity. 20 years from now, people, all, all, the, 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 young, <sighs> the young hip writers 20 years from now, they're going to they're gonna be writing all kinds of think pieces and, and this is going to be a revered horror film. And then we're going to be fucking Abe Simpson screaming at the clouds. That's what we're going to be. That's that's I guarantee you. Mark my words. I know like everything on the Internet is ephemeral. No one will hear this in 20 years. But if you happen to hear this in the year 2038, uh, even though we are going to be in the midst of a nuclear holocaust and, you know, the earth will be wiped clean. But this podcast will survive. And somewhere somewhere, probably the son of David Ehrlich will be writing that Suspiria 2018 is the greatest film of all time. That's going to Fucking market right now. It's going to happen. Yeah, it's already IndieWire's 81st scariest horror movie of all time. Just a, a quick question. What the fuck marks this as a horror movie? This, yeah. this, there's no horror in this film virtually at all. It's the horror of man or woman <laughs> in this case. No, I, I mean, there's the, the twisty pretzel lady, but that's not really scary. It's just kind of gross. Uh, yeah. And then the that, end is the end is just gory. Uh, it's not really scary unless you're afraid of like boobs and blood. But that's about it. There's no there's no tension. No, no, definitely. Which is, no, uh, which is a problem again. Argento is not some master of subtle tension, but he managed no. to pull it the fuck off in this movie. Well, maybe maybe people are afraid of the spooky nightlight dreams that, that they have in the movie. I don't know. That's, that's oh, that, that's thing. another great effect where it's just like some floating Lisa Frank Dude, horseshit over a bed. It, it looks like a fucking Neil Breen effect in Fateful yeah. Findings, like when the when the magical ghost wind blows. That's what it looks like. <laughs> it's some straight up Neil Breen. <laughs> like I keep. There is a place for – and again, is it necessary? Fuck no. Will it add anything to film history and, and be some revolution? Fuck no. But with all of this 80s altar worship that's been going on the last several years and how popular it's been and Halloween is certainly existing on that wave as well, there is a place – to reach back further, I, I feel like I'm surprised it hasn't gone the direction where someone is trying to make a Suspiria-esque movie and, you know, goblins trolling around America in a bus right now. I'm surprised this hasn't happened where someone's like, okay, we're going to try and, and ape this. And it, it's not necessary, but I would go see it. <laughs> yeah. I don't know, man. This is just... 
exhausting. So yeah, two duds. I I don't know. I need a palate cleanser. Maybe maybe I'll go to the theater this weekend and see Overlord and just shout, "That's how you Holocaust, baby!" at the screen. But I don't I don't know. That's all I got. Uh, but hey, yeah. why don't we talk about something that I actually am passionate about, and that's the best television show in the history of the universe. Uh, and someone's going, huh, do you mean Twin Peaks, The Return? Actually, I see it as more of a film. Fuck you. Hey, quit reading my mind. Fuck <laughs> you. Nine, one, motherfucking one. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. It's been a while. I think we neglected the, our our audience and their favorite segment. Yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, it's it really it, it it's been a roller coaster ride. I and not like in the first season where someone actually dies on a roller coaster. I absolutely love this movie <laughs> or this this TV show because it is. Wait, is it a movie or is it TV? You know what? It, it is. It's cinema. That's what we call it. Uh, I feel like I could watch an entire season back to back, and it would still feel shorter than uh, Suspiria. I think it's a- it actually is shorter than Suspiria. Uh, so this show is wait, 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 it. Hold on. Is that? Do you hear that? What is that? It's the sweet sound of sirens. Oh my god! <laughs> that sounds great, Jake. I like what we were talking about adding a high-quality yeah. theme to this. <laughs> no. We're still well, with this, no. this This sounds good. Well, it sounds like you went to the dollar store and bought like a, a, a fucking toy ambulance and you just held it up against your microphone. Um, not even. This eagle-eared listeners will know that this is the theme I played on YouTube when uh, we first started talking about 911. Oh, for so, all the super yeah. fans. Is that going to go on the Optimism Vaccine wiki page? It sure can. So yeah, That's look good. up police, police siren, sick, aggressive trap, hip hop, instrumental beat crap on YouTube. That's the name of the video. That's how uh, Jake found the, the track in the first place. It's precisely uh, what he searched. Yeah, I had a stroke when I was typing in the search bar, and that's what came out. That's good. That's good. I already got that bookmark. So uh, yeah, so season two of of nine one one. Season one was great because it instantly hooked me because. Um, there's a scene where a firefighter, uh, he intercepts a home robbery uh, guy, a, a, a home invasion man, and the guy is trying to get away on a motorcycle. He blasts him with the fucking hose off of his fire truck, and that's cool. That's pretty much the yeah. coolest thing. So instantly I was like, okay, best show. Um, it's every every week something new and stupid would happen. And when I say stupid, I'm not using that like hyperbolically. I'm saying Think of the dumbest thing that could happen to a human where you might have to call 911, and it magically happens. Bonus, um, the only fire responder people in the entire city of Los Angeles happens to be this firehouse, and all the bad, dumb things that happen, they're there to, to take care of things. So, season <laughs> Double two. Double bonus, we have to see the like most clumsily written dramatic scenes between these characters. Oh, well. that's the best. So, okay, so it's great because... I think, you know, the, the first season was wildly successful. I don't know if it was wildly successful for the reasons that the creators thought, but it's, a, it's the closest thing you get to, like, Neil Breen or Tommy Wiseau on television, in my opinion. Uh, but when you get to season two, I think they've, they've toned down the stupid just a little, but fun. They crank up the dramatic shit, which is actually dumber 
than the actual dumb shit. So it's even stupider than before. It is fucking beautiful. And it's great because, uh, I mean, we start off with a uh, horrific earthquake for a big... Well, uh, no, that's episode two, Cuff. Oh, no, it's one and two. It's it's a two-part. No, it's, it's two no, and it's three. Two and three. Oh, two and three. Okay. One, so you're forgetting about the, the classic, the classic uh, first episode wherein uh, you, you just said they... they Toned down the stupid, but in this episode, uh, one of the early calls involves a man uh, falling on an air compressor, which proceeds to inflate him through his ass. <laughs> oh, and there's a like fart a parade joke. balloon. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, yeah, I maybe maybe I oversold that a little bit. Um, yeah, that's that's a little that's a little rough. <laughs> wait, okay, so wait, what else? I, I'm I'm trying to get my my. My brain wrapped around this. So what so, else? Is, what else happens in this episode? Who so, else gets fucking hurt? So episode one, there's also the the war veteran collector who gets the live grenade stuck in his leg. Oh, that's and they good. have to extract it before it detonates. I like that because he's like, I shot myself in the leg. Don't worry, it's not a live round. And like, I'm from the army. It's a live round. Yeah, it's like a it's a like a proximity grenade that detonates once it reaches a certain distance from the fire. AKA so they have to a fucking not, plot device grenade. Yeah. So they have to not rotate it as they remove it from his leg. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, and then it ends with, uh, the Logan Paul special, uh, the guy cementing his head into a microwave mm. and then falling in a pool. Yeah. There's yeah. also a, a van full of, uh, tourists sightseeing in California oh, who oh, green oh, over a cliff or something. Yeah. Well, that's uh, part of the like the open of like it's like four different emergencies that yeah. are not really connected, but are edited together as if they all happened concurrently. <laughs> yeah, so they could there's, use that great uh, Queen song. Right? There's a yeah, there's a there's a busy uh, restaurant that that overheats literally and explodes and injures all the diners. Uh, there's what else happens in that? There's a and then there's just on the cop end. There's the guy who steals the uh, the rental car at his wedding to get away from his crazy bride. Oh, there's there's a lot going there's, on. There's one more. Yeah, there's a uh, lot. Well, I, I think we should talk about uh, the the real meat of this episode, which is the arrival of our our two new characters, as they could mm. not get Connie Britton back on the show. Right. They decided to double down and replace her with two people. One of which is uh, uh, the handsome birthmark man's sister, uh, Jennifer Love Hewitt, who uh, comes to live with him in Connie Britton's house. <laughs> what, they have the set locked down or what? I, I can't I, imagine yeah, why sure. this is a plot point. It's a budget thing. I <laughs> Which is pretty awesome. Don't you love when your girlfriend leaves you to go fucking eat, pray, love, and then she's just like, yeah, live in my house. Now that I'm gone yeah. forever. <laughs> it, that makes perfect sense to me. Yeah, uh, it's totally a normal human thing to do. And and I love I love Jennifer Love Hewitt's backstory, too, because it, it really piggybacks on the first season's uh, elegant portrayal of uh, domestic abuse, where <laughs> the, she has left her husband, who proceeds to call her up on the phone and just go, you bitch, I'm going to chase you across the country and stab you in the neck, bitch. <laughs> It's like, ah, this is the nuance I seek. Oh, God. Yeah. And that's our so second weird. our second new character. Speaking uh, of new more nuance. handsome. Even more handsome guy. Oh, hell yeah. With disabled son. Uh-huh. Oh, and he's a fucking troop, baby. Thank you for your service. 
And yes. Can we talk about the disabled son thing? Because this is my favorite. And this is what I'm talking about when, when I'm like, oh, yeah, they, they tone down the stupid a little in favor of, like, even dumber dramatic shit. When we say his his son, this is like if you just went to, like, the, the Wikipedia list of cognitive disabilities and then you threw it all in a fucking blender and then dumped it on a child. I, I don't – there's a lot going on here. This is like <laughs> – it's it's insane. It's like uh, it, it, Tropic Thunder, like the simple Jack character. It's that, but a child, and it's real. It, it's in, it's like the most insensitive, stupid fucking performance ever. And it's supposed to be like, oh, oh, but it, you're just like, holy shit, this is uncomfortable. <laughs> I can't look at this because it's just like the worst piece of writing ever. They're like, oh, this guy is handsome, but he's also got a heart which is represented here by this child with crutches <laughs> yeah like fucking tiny tim and he's got glasses he's like, oh, God! it's like oh god don't talk like that and and this is this is why i mean 9-11 in, in and of itself is a, it's a fucking like emergency siren in my body because like you know oh oh look the kid got his head stuck in a microwave filled with cement it's like oh that's goofy but whenever they go into serious territory it's just it's the most cringy stuff ever. It's insane. Whether it's the domestic violence or, um, you know, officer, I burn my family alive or, you know, fucking tiny Tim and, and Sergeant muscle boy like that. It's horrifying to watch. Like, I can't even imagine like if, if this show decides, Oh, we're going to do a show on sexual assault or, Oh, we're going to, we're going to do a show on this or that. We're going to do a show on the Holocaust. Like, please don't good Lord. Just fucking pump the brakes, nine one one. I can't like some of the writing on this show is just it's just astounding. It's yeah. it's astounding. And the performances too. My oh, my good my good friend Sports Night is just the worst. He is the worst. He's oh. so wooden and terrible. Dude, and then on the opposite end of the spectrum, you've got his his new love interest, Angela Bassett, who's just like she could be like Ordering a double-double from In-N-Out and going for the fucking Oscar. Like, every line is delivered with insane <laughs> drama yeah. and conviction. You're like, Yeah, what? she's not fucking ordering any double-double. She's exclusively eating ham sandwiches. So, I want animal fries. It's like, ma'am, that's fine. You don't have to yell. Like, that's... <laughs> it's just... It's, it's insane. Everything is insane. But that, I love this that, show. That is the new It couple right there. The, oh, the yeah. sexual chemistry is just off the fucking charts. Yeah, between like the human embodiment of an Oscar statue and then a fucking wooden board with a boner. <laughs> it's insane. Good writing. You know okay, what? Okay, moving on. People who murder their family two. deserve love. <laughs> I think we should probably talk about the, the two-episode Earthquake Spectacular then. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Sure. Oh, uh, there's an earthquake. Yeah, well, and, and this is this is what you need because, uh, you know, you gotta you gotta have your two parter in here, you, and you gotta you gotta you gotta have a big set piece. And what's a bigger set piece that a hotel fell over? And can we save the little girl and her dog too? Oh, uh, my favorite part was when they thought they found the little girl. They're like, oh, there's a kid in there, and. It just exhibited this great understanding of, of roughneck, blue-collar uh, workers to me when one of the other uh, – they're like, oh, is it – I can't remember what the fuck the character's name, but that's what they asked. They're like, is it Emily? And and uh, one of the other firefighters who's running out of this collapsed building turns around and goes, 
No, it's an African American boy. I'm like, yeah, that's oh. just that's just how it would go down. The roughnecks. <laughs> so, <yep. laughs> oh boy, yeah. This is a good one too and, because instead of the usual hodgepodge of goofiness, it's just like one stupid fucking thing after another. So we get. Um, you know, I, I just I just said, oh, my God, I hope they don't ever deal with sexual assault. And now I'm coming to the realization that in the earthquake thing, they actually do. Uh, they have their own little uh, uh, Weinstein thing going on here. And it's it's fucking horrifying. I, yeah, <laughs> not not a fun watch at all. Yeah, that was my takeaway was you said they they toned down the dumb. I was getting more out of the first few episodes here that they had they had really cut down on the amount of uh, emergency calls that ended with someone dying. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like they're saving the day a whole lot more this season thus far. Yeah, they're heroic, uh, man. Mind you, I'm not that far down into it. But so, so it, the only person who dies in this earthquake spectacular, well, I guess the uh, persnickety I mean- <laughs> owner of the small dog dies off screen, mm-hmm. presumably, since they just end up co-opting the dog at the end of the episode. And, and probably like hundreds of people, if not more, but yeah. Right, but the only featured uh, character who dies is the uh, the Trump-Weinstein analog. He's, he's the only person who dies in this, in this trash. Yeah. Well, you know, it's okay to punish someone if they're, for their transgressions if it happens in a natural disaster. Sure, sure. That's that's the way to do it. And he <laughs> dies in hilarious fashion. Yeah, it is pretty good. His his body is like pancaked against the glass of his his suite, and then he falls out of it. Yeah, that's it's pretty great. Um, yeah, and then I mean, and this the earthquake thing goes on, and uh, our Oscar statue cop. Uh, she does this weird thing too, where like she's on a bridge that collapses, and she's like trying to put out a fucking fire, right? Oh my god! And then there's Was this whole cement thing. truck. Yeah, yes. and, <laughs> and and she had previously like arrested Baby Vin Diesel from Fast and the Furious, and like she uses his Vin Diesel powers to like put out a fire by hot wiring another car or something. Oh, you call him baby Vin Diesel. I was thinking of him exclusively as Edward Furlong from Terminator. (laughs) (laughs) I mean that, that as well. Yeah. That, that probably with, with a lot of parkour. Yeah. A lot of parkour. A lot of that. Well, if it existed in 2018, you bet. All over the fucking place. (laughs) (laughs) But I like how, yeah. Episode one of this season is they're rescuing a guy who cements his head into a microwave. And in then episode two, they're using cement from a truck to extinguish a fire in an overturned car where a guy is trapped inside. Yeah. It's like, hey, wait a minute. We've used the, we've saved someone from cement. Let's cover someone in cement to save them this time. Dude, it's, uh, you know, it's, it's one of those it's complex, it's one of those complex metaphors like you see in Suspiria 2018. You know, it's like cement, uh, it giveth and it taketh away. That's, that's what we learned. It's an essential yeah. element of life. <laughs> I'm doubling back a little, but I feel like we should briefly touch on that microwave cement thing because it's uh, it's amusing to me because it perfectly exemplifies what the writing is on this show where they're like responding to a call in which someone has their head stuck in a microwave filled with cement. And the writers are like, this just isn't fucking – urgent enough. We need to up the fucking ante. <laughs> so they just have yeah. him stumble around amongst like six paramedics 
uh, and yeah. then just like dive into a swimming pool. Like, oh no, now he's got a ticking clock and he'll die in mere seconds. Cut it off, cut it off. It's like, was, was any of this necessary? <laughs> nope, nope, not at all. And that's, I mean, nothing in this show is necessary. And that's what makes it beautiful. Because just when you think it reaches peak stupid, it's like, nope, I've, I've found another rung on the stupid ladder. And here I am taking that next step. But I can tell you, Maris, I. Uh, I know you know you, you're not completely caught up. I am caught up at this point, and I can assure you, this show is going to get a lot stupider, a lot stupider for you. So you've got some fun things to look forward to. I'm trying. I'm trying my best to not watch anything until we get toward the next record. I'm, I, since we're doing four episodes at a time, I want it to be fresh in my mind when we sure when we record next. Keep guys, keep talking. I'm sorry, I gotta step away for just one second. Hold on. All right. Uh, so, is there anything else to touch on in this Earth? It, as much as it's two episodes, it's among the most plotless of nine one one episodes. Yeah, it's it's pretty meandering, and I, I think that was that was my one big takeaway from this. Is like I, I was a little concerned about nine one one at first because it, it didn't it didn't feel as focused as before. Uh, but let me tell you, it hits its stride in some of the dumbest ways humanly possible. I also cannot believe how fucking popular this show is. And I need to know, are people, like, really taking this show seriously? Like, are they, like, on the edge of their seat with these dramatic moments? Or are, 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 people, are people consuming it the way that we are? Because I'm just like, fuck yeah, this rules. But I, I, I don't know I don't if know. I see people it the same fucking... way as people. People fucking love that Shonda Rhyme shit. Is this? I don't think a Grey's Anatomy does drama much better than this fucking thing does. No, I think Grey's Anatomy though kind of started off serious, and then I mean I don't watch the show, but I know some people who still do, and they're like, oh yeah, there's been like seventy two plane crashes and all this insane shit happens, and it's it's very, I don't know, it's it's a whole subgenre of dramatic television that takes the the best like elevated drama from soap operas and then just mixes it with unintentional comedy and it's it's a beautiful thing really i can't even believe do you know how many people watched the season two debut of 911 throw a number out there uh well i think it's usually around a six isn't yeah it? how about 9.83 for the fucking debut that's Jesus. pretty big in, in the year of our Lord 2018. That is that's, insane. That's, stuff. that's like some ER level shit. That's nuts. I, I can't well, this is the ER of our time. It is. It truly is the ER of our time. Thank you, Jake. You're uh, very welcome. But yeah, it's I mean, <laughs> all, all I want to say is, you know, 911 continues to be the best show on television, and I give it uh, five crippled children out of five. Well, we still have to talk about episode four, Steve, so don't get too far out of your show. Oh, well. Um, yeah. there's, uh, we can wrap up the earthquake by saying one more thing about how this show is the worst written thing I've ever seen. And that when they brought on a replacement for Connie Britton's character in Jennifer Love Hewitt, they just gave her the exact same job as Connie Britton's character. Yeah. Well, that's, that's yes, pretty they good. figured – yeah, it's not nine one one if you don't have scenes taking place in the nine one one call center. I mean, oh, that's yeah. where all the action begins. You gotta, you gotta have you gotta that have connection. That shitty voiceover uh, to put a book in on things. Exactly. Right. So, what was number four? It was stuck. 
Yes. That's, what it's, that's what it's called, and that's what basically happens to everyone in it. Mm-hmm. Also, your uh, your favorite horror movie from uh, 2007, Myros. Uh, well, that is a Stuart Gordon classic. <laughs> I oh, we should also have mentioned that Chimney, uh, our good friend uh, Phineas Gage, uh, <laughs> tiny Asian old Chimney beats out. Both handsome hunks for a uh, spicy uh, calendar shoot because he's a real fucking hero. He is a hero. Yeah. Got a, he got a piece of rebar in his head. Yes, uh, which that's what you want on a sexy calendar, exactly. a rebar head. Yeah. Um, so episode four stuck is actually a chimney-centric episode where uh, a series of events – uh, you know, other people's deaths are inconsequential because in the end it's for the best because they teach Chimney that he needs to move out of his life and uh, and start again with uh, with love. Mm-hmm. It's it's really a heartwarming heartwarming show. Yeah. So someone gets mangled by an escalator. That's kind of a big takeaway. <laughs> Which and, and this this is a real fucking bummer too because like this is an amazing sequence because. You get nothing about this relationship. They they like it goes from zero to, to just mangled man in three seconds. It's the most like afterthought thing I've ever seen, um, and it's insane too. Like the guy, this guy, he goes to like propose to his girlfriend, and he's on an escalator, and you're like, oh, his legs are gonna get stuck in the escalator. That's a thing, and they're like, nope, this is nine one one, bitch. And then the whole escalator just fucking collapses, and he just like goes into these like this fucking clockwork gear system that just grinds him to a pulp. <laughs> and uh, then, don't you hate when that happens? Oh, and and then and then there's this like romantic <laughs> shit thing. going on, and you know our our only nine one one responders in the entire city of Los Angeles they show up and they're like, "You're gonna make it, buddy," and you're thinking, "Yeah, he's gonna make it." And then in like three seconds, they're like, "No, he's dead as hell. You're not getting married." <laughs> That's it. The end. <laughs> and uh, I love how they try and make you care about this guy because they're like, he's proposing to his girlfriend with a fucking ring pop because he tried to buy her jewelry and she sold it and donated it to a pet adoption. I'm like, oh, dick boy. move. Well, you've dick done move. the fucking you've really made me give a shit about this person who's been on the screen for 10 seconds and you just fucking mangled his leg yeah, <laughs> and killed him. She's probably like a freaking like dumpster diver too or something. I, I'm, that, not, I'm not that, into it. That did seem to be uh, the vibe I was getting, which is exactly what you want when you're trying to endear a character to middle America. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he probably fucking he probably <laughs> fell through the escalator because he smelled her patchouli stink and just couldn't handle it. And he chose death instead. I will say the other uh, main thing that happens here is that uh, new super handsome man's uh, disabled son is inexplicably uh, allowed to to go on several uh, emergency calls with the team because he doesn't have a babysitter. <laughs> yeah, that does I don't I don't know if that's kosher. That doesn't make any sense to me. Yeah, but it's but fine when no... they're like, hey, he's playing pinball in the firehouse. I'm like, well, that's fine and well. And then they just like get an emergency call. They're like, hop on in, buddy. I'm like, yeah. no, that's yeah. not okay. <laughs> that's not okay. And it's it's all just so you can like show this kid like wearing an oversized like fire, fire hat. And he's just like, ho, ho, look at me. <clears throat> you know, and everybody's like, ah, yeah, you're cute. <clears throat> it's the best. Oh, God. <laughs> 
Uh, so, Jake, are, are you still riding high on the 911 train? How, like, okay, so I can tell you that I think we're going to make it through this season and it's going to be as magical as the first. How long can this show conceivably go on? Because I believe you could run this for 10 years because most shows, they, they kind of go off the rails because they just get too stupid over time. But this show thrives on getting dumber. So, yeah, I mean, it's going to run forever, right? Right, it's already started at 11, so why not just keep doing what it's doing? Don't change a thing. Yeah. Yeah, the, the, only, the only way that this show could suck is if it tried to, like, transform itself into prestige television somehow. But that doesn't seem to be the case. So I think we're in good shape. <laughs> yeah. Just keep slotting in, like, washed-up stars. Time for Sarah Michelle Geller next season. Oh, yeah. Some shit out of- Guys, there's a new yeah. fire captain. <laughs> it's Coolio. <laughs> Hi, I'm Captain Julio. <laughs> yeah, I I've seen enough Ryan Murphy to tell you that uh, he has no no shortage of fucking jackass ideas. So uh, it'll so, keep so, coming. Coolio's not off the table, then, right? He is not off the table. That's what I like to hear. <laughs> you see, what right. they keep adding these horror story casts. My God, Coolio would be. Uh, it wouldn't be unexpected. <laughs> sure. Sure. I mean, he's probably not working right now, right? He he did like a cooking show for a while, I think. But yeah, give Coolio some work. Let's do it. Uh, all right, boys. Well, I think that pretty much wraps up this episode. Uh, real quick, let's let's put our stuff over for this week. Myros, what are you putting over this week? Uh, I hate this segment. It really because uh, you always forget to think of something. Well, it, it involves me having to watch something of consequence, which I seldom do. I I've been puttering or, around or a lot read. watching. Uh, or watching listen. British YouTube uh, people, which is amusing me. So what are you watching, EastEnders? <laughs> no, no. I've been watching uh, a lot of uh, video game YouTube stuff uh, from from Great Britain, which amuses me because generally video game YouTube stuff in America is just a bunch of like 20-year-old bros screaming at the top of their lungs. And it seems like people who are big in, in British – uh, YouTube gaming scene are like 45 year old men who are just like mumbling about ZX spectrums. And I, I get great amusement from this. <laughs> so you watch mumbling British men talk about antiquated video games online. That's beautiful. God bless you, Myros. Uh, Jake, what are you putting over this, this week? Um, I'm going to cheat a little bit, but I think you'll appreciate this. I'm going to put over two things. Um, the first one is a film I watched recently called Cure. It's a Japanese uh, horror movie by Kiyoshi Kurosawa. It's about a guy who may or may not be hypnotizing people to commit these vicious murders for him. And the police detective who goes mad trying to bring him down. Um, the director, Kurosawa, he also directed the original Pulse film, which I also highly recommend. But, um, yeah, if you have the opportunity to seek out either one of these, I think, uh, I think both you and our audience would, uh, might really enjoy these. They're excellent. Um, the other thing I wanted to put over is, uh, Adam conducted a very good interview with a director from your guys's caustic content show, uh, where you actually managed to get one of the directors on and you talked for a good, a good solid hour about, uh, his film, what, you know, where he, his background and, and what he's got going on, and there's a lot of uh, a lot of common ground discussed. So uh, it's a very uh, very enjoyable interview. I I highly recommend seeking it out if you don't already listen to it already. 
Yeah, no, that it was a great interview. Miles did an awesome job, and uh, it was it was crazy too because the guy was super nice, and he didn't think that we were total fucking assholes. So yeah, that's that's always to be a, a fan. So yeah, I'm not I, I sure was, if, you, if we gave an accurate uh, impression. I, I mean, I, I kind of feel bad <laughs> representing myself as not a total fucking asshole. <laughs> yeah, he hasn't he hasn't had a beer with you yet. Uh, <laughs> holy shit. Yeah, it, it's it's a great interview, and he was a good sport with the whole thing, and um, he he totally understood where we were coming from in a lot of stuff, and he clarified a lot of things for us, and uh, it's a, yeah, it's a really good listen and enlightening listen if, if you pay attention to caustic content, and uh, also we're all about the uh, the cross promotion here at Optimism Vaccine, so that's important. All right, so my turn to put something over. I watched a movie the other day on Netflix. And I, my eyes were drawn to it immediately because of the title. It's uh, Christian Mingle, which you may know as a Christian dating website. And uh, yes, there is a movie funded by Christian Mingle about the website Christian Mingle, and it fucking rules. It is one of the most poorly acted, like, sub-Hallmark-level uh, just trash, so that's fun. Uh, the two leads have no chemistry whatsoever, and also, like, in storyline, they don't really seem to like each other, so it's amazing that there's this love story based around them. Uh, and the whole story is this woman decides that she can't find a man, and she's turning 30, and she needs to get married, so she pretends to be a Christian so she can date some Christian asshole who's complete trash. And also, there's a, a a part where they go to a restaurant called Steak and Cake, and they just eat giant ribeyes and slices of cake, and, and nobody acts like it's a weird thing. And then the whole, like, last third of the movie takes place in Mexico, but it's like if your racist Trump supporter shut-in aunt, like, fucking Googled Mexico and just looked at the first picture on Google Images – and then wrote a, a whole like third of a movie about it. It's awesome. Do they encounter any caravans? Uh, no caravans, but like everybody, it's it's like everyone in all, all the people who are supposed to be in this Mexican village. They look like they imported them from like a fucking spaghetti western that takes place in like 1860. It's insane. <laughs> and then there's just like random shit. Like there's just like a fucking donkey with a sombrero on and shit. It doesn't make any sense. It's great. So definitely go watch that. It's if if you like goofy rom com trash, it's about as as good as it gets. I would say, uh, Sean Glynis, uh, friend of the show, uh, frequent contributor. This is this is right up his alley. Hundred percent his shit. All right, boys. Well, that about wraps it up for this week. So if you are listening to this podcast right now, because of course you are. This is my fucking voice. You're listening to it. Uh, go into the description of the podcast you're listening to. There is a link. That link takes you to our iTunes page. Please, for the love of God, I am begging you right now. Click the link. Give us five stars. Write a written review on iTunes. Why would you do that? Well, one, weekly, we're providing you with this wonderful entertainment. All we ask of you is that you take literally like 15 seconds and just say, yeah, this show is fucking cool. Uh, Myros has a, a big old dick, and I love it. Just write that. Give us five stars. And what that does is it makes our podcast more visible on iTunes. The more visible we are, the easier it is for people to access our content and the more content we can create for you. So please do that. Also, if you want to contact us on the Internet, you can find me at Steve Cuff on Twitter. That's at Steve C-U-F-F. You can email us at uh, OptimismVaccine at gmail.com or tweet at us at OptimismVaccine. Jake, where do we find you on the Internet? 
Yeah, you can find me on uh, Twitter at Jake Tropila, T-R-O-P-I-L-A. Tweet at me there. Cool. Now, Myros, he doesn't have uh, a Twitter. He doesn't have anything, really. He doesn't do anything. He's, he's off the grid. But if you do email, email us, optimismvaccine at gmail.com, uh, you you should Google uh, Google image search hairless cats and hairless dogs and just uh, <laughs> download as many pictures as you can and just save those and send him an email with all those files attached and he'd love to get those so we're gonna send those his way that's a great way to say thank you to Myros for his service Myros thank you for your service by the way uh, it's an honor it truly is truly is all right Jake last words yours nine one one what's your emergency. 